Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilling. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about keeping ourselves in the love of God. And of course, that just that phrase by itself, keeping yourself in the love of God, that just sounds like just the nice Christian phrase, doesn't it? Like, yep, keep ourselves in the love of God, you know? But what does that really mean? What does it really mean to keep ourselves in the love of God? Why is it important for us to maintain, is, a, is another way to put it, to maintain ourselves in the love of God. The reason is because the scriptures give us some warnings. Specifically, we've been referencing Jude's letter to the church, and I I just would like for all of us to read this out loud together, Jude 17 through 21. Let's read this together. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The warning we're reading here from Jude, the warning that the other apostles gave to us, the warning that they are just repeating what Jesus said, saying that there's gonna be scoffers. There's gonna be people following ungodly passions. There's gonna be divisions, and it's not just happening out there in the world somewhere, and we are safe and sound here in the church, and we're immune from all of it. No, it's happening in the church as well. And people are, in our day and age, not just, I mean, obviously it's happening here because Jude is addressing it, but in our day and age, you know, the, the buzzword is deconstructing and people are walking away from the true faith. And um, why, why are they doing it? It's because there's a counterfeit spirit to the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of this age and it's at work in the earth. And it's enticing people to live according to the flesh. Again, not just out there in the world, outside of the church, but it's enticing believers to live according to the flesh. And not only are we dealing with a counterfeit spirit, but we're also dealing with a counterfeit gospel. We're hearing a counterfeit gospel being preached, and it's uh, being preached under the guise of critical theory and intersectionality and social justice and wokeism and tolerance. And, And God has... Christian theology, and Satan has critical theory. And these two ideologies are at war in our culture today, and they touch every single arena. They touch politics and economics and morality and spirituality and sexuality and marriage and so on and so forth, and there's a spiritual war that is raging. And some Christians have jumped on the trend train of critical theory. Some do it because they just want to be cool and hip and they just wanna go along and be accepted by the world, and others do it because they're just easily deceived. The problem is is that this system 
is not a system that's breathed on by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's the spirit of this age is behind it, and it's antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's infected social media. It's infected the education system, even governments. It's also affected some mainline liberal Christian denominations. We're talking about denominations that were the forerunners of Christianity for several hundred years. But now, they're apostate. Just like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons came out of Christianity, out of critical theory, we see heretical versions that claim to be Christian, but they deny the true power of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, the scripture tells us that we are only made righteous through Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? But critical theory, the counterfeit gospel, says that you're made righteous through intersectionality, which is this. The more that you're oppressed, the more righteous you are. The more places that you've experienced injustice, the more righteous you are, and the more right that you have to judge others. So the more boxes that you can check, the more points that you win in the intersectionality game of, of, of righteousness through suffering and oppression. Critical theory tries to take the place of God by placing itself as the ultimate authority, where the only unpardonable sin is actually to critique critical theory. It critiques everything and everyone, but not itself. It's become the one thing that's not allowed to call into question, to call into judgment. And so what we need to be acutely aware of is that behind critical theory is the critic. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 and 8 uh, gives us this picture of a war that was waged in the heavenly realms, and Satan lost that war, and he was cast down, right? But critical theory is the enemy's way of trying to take that war that he lost in heaven and try to win it here on earth. He critiqued God, he judged God, and tried to replace God. He lost, but he, he's lost, amen? But he's a sore loser. And so he's using marketing and social media and hashtags and picketing and protests and statements and organizations and institutions and candidates. We need to remember and keep in mind that we, there's a world that we see, but there's another world that we see behind that world, the unseen world. And there is a war raging. Real Christianity says that we are to be spiritually born again by repenting of our sin and turning to Jesus. That's Christian theology. The counterfeit of being born again is wokeism. Instead of repenting of our sin, we'll focus on someone else's sin. Well, in wokeism, you're always the victim. You're always the good person. Uh, you're the Jesus figure, and they're the Judas figure. Critical theory is demonic because the focus is always on someone else's sin as to divert attention away from your own sin and having to repent of it. If Jesus says something's wrong and we say it's right, then we are preaching a counterfeit gospel of repentance instead of a true gospel of repentance. Intolerance is the counterfeit gospel of repentance. Well, we just need to be tolerant. 
you know, so-and-so, they're doing that. That's okay for them. I mean, that's not how we're gonna live, but, you know, if that's what is their truth, then I'm gonna be tolerant of their truth. No, truth is truth. It's not, it's not subjective, <laughs> you know? Uh, so if we don't call people to repent of personal sin, they cannot be born again. They cannot belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. They cannot enter into the eternal kingdom of God. Instead, all they're left with is this demonic culture that is a counterfeit. They're told that they're righteous, and they're not. They're told that they're secure, and they're not. They're told that they're good, and they're not. And it's all demonic deception and lies. Critical theory seeks to replace Jesus as the victim of our sin with ourselves as the victim of other sins. The truth is, you need to be born again. You need to repent of your sin. Don't spend your life critiquing what someone else is doing. Spend your life seeking what God wants you to do. So Jude tells us that we're not to fall prey to these things, but we must keep ourselves in the love of God. Say that with me. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Last week, we said that if you're gonna do this, keep yourself in the love of God, then we cannot lose our conviction, we cannot lose our compassion, and we cannot lose our courage. We cannot lose our conviction. There are convictions that we've got to have anchored in our hearts that no man or no force of hell can take that from us our firmly held belief that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did accomplish what he accomplished, that the scriptures are the true and inspired word of God and that the Lord Jesus is returning. These are our convictions and we've got to hold on to them. We can't lose them. We've, we can't lose our compassion. Let's not be like the church in Ephesus who, you know, where in Revelation 2, Jesus told them, that they were doing all the things right out on the external realm. Everything on the outside, they were doing right, but internally, their love for God and their love for people had grown cold. If we're gonna keep ourselves in the love of God, we can't lose our compassion, and our compassion for others is an overflow of our own intimate, personal, inner life with God. Don't expect, you know, I'll just tell myself here. When I feel like I'm running low on compassion for others, then I know I need to spend some more time with the Lord. And then when I do that, the Lord brings correction to me. I find my my compassion growing. I find forgiveness, Not, not forgiveness from the Lord, but the power to forgive others. And if we're gonna keep ourselves in the love of God, we've got to not lose this this ability to to be compassionate toward people. And that comes from our inner life with God. And I I can't draw on compassion from Larry's inner life with God. I've gotta have my own inner life with God. The other thing is, is we can't lose our courage. We touched on all three of these things last week, but today I wanna spend the rest of our time talking about this one, our courage. I don't know about you, but I've done some pretty dumb, stupid,
stupid, crazy, risky things in my life um, that, that took some courage in the moment. But when I look back on those things, I think to myself, what in the world was I thinking? <laughs> what in the world was I thinking? I mean, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you've done some dumb, stupid, crazy, you know, out there stuff before. You use your courage, and then you look back on it and go, what, what did I do that for? That was crazy, right? You know, I, I remember as a kid one time, here's one of the ways I remember spending my courage. As a kid, we had this tree line in our backyard that lined the road that went up this hill along the side of our property. And we had like two or three large walnut trees in our house, and uh, not in our house, but on our property. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Anyway. And every fall, my dad would pay me and my buddies on the street who would pay us to get these five-gallon buckets and pick up all the walnuts so, you know, we didn't have to mow over these walnuts, right? So, he, I mean, he'd pay us like a penny a walnut. Felt like it was like a little house in the prairie. He's like, come on, Dad. <laughs> can't, you, can't you spend some more here? I remember one year my grandfather did it, and he paid us a nickel a walnut. That was a good year. So we had these five-gallon buckets full of walnuts. And we took these uh, buckets one time over into the tree line where we had like this little fort. And, uh, and it was like getting dark. You know, it wasn't quite completely dark, but it was just getting dark. And cars would drive by. And this wasn't my idea. This was my buddy's idea, but I went along with it. And we we're going to be bold enough to, to launch walnuts at cars as they drove by. And we were hidden by the trees, right? I mean, there was this, it was like this pretty thick brush. And I mean, nobody could see where these walnuts were coming from. As far as I knew, they were just coming down off the trees that were hanging off the road. We probably pegged, I don't know, three or four cars. And I knew, you're doing that as a kid and you know, this is wrong. This is stupid. If I get caught, I may not live to see tomorrow. And here comes this one car coming up the road. And I rear back like this. And right as I'm here, my friend goes, no. But it was too late. I was in motion and I released. And pow, hit the car. A cop car. And I saw what I did. And I looked at my buddy and he, we looked at each other like. And we, we ran out of the trees. We ran into the house. Uh, as quick as we could, we went downstairs in the basement, flipped the TV on, sat on the couch like we'd just been sitting there the entire time. Huffing and puffing, nervous. I don't even know what was on the TV. We were just kind of just staring like, I can't believe that just happened. About two minutes later, we heard the doorbell ring. An officer had come uh, to the door and miraculously, I am here before you today. Uh, I did get caught. But I look back on that and go, why did I have the courage to do something so stupid and crazy and risky? That was dumb, right? I remember another time where um, I was over at Percy Priest Lake. We were climbing up the, the cliffs. And I was climbing up this one cliff at Percy Priest. And I was getting pretty high. And the water below me was pretty shallow. And Rocky, and there was actually, like if I'm climbing up here, there was, a, there was another ledge, a rock ledge that, that jutted out here, and there was this narrow 
gap right here that went down to the water, which was super shallow. And then on the other side, it was still shallow. And I remember climbing up and I remember starting to slip and fall and go, I'm going to fall backwards and break my back on that ledge. Like I'm going to fall back and just, I'm going to die. So like, I just, I don't know. This is like one of those moments where God intervenes, right? I pushed myself off the wall. Like, I don't know, Spider-Man or I don't know. Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible, and I just <laughs> launched myself off the wall, and I cleared the ledge. I cleared that little, that rock, that pointy rock that was jutting out, and I went, and I twisted in the air, and now I'm facing the lake, and the water, you can see the water is this shallow, because there's just flat rock underneath, and I hit that, and my legs went out like that, and I didn't die. <laughs> And I thought to myself, why did I do that? Why was that out? And I wasn't, I didn't have anybody with me. I mean, I was out there with my family, but they weren't watching me. I was off, off by myself. Why did I have the courage to go off and do something stupid and dumb and risky and crazy like that? Remember one time I was in Park City, Utah. I, 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 it was the first time I'd skied in the Rocky Mountains. You know, I grew up here in Middle Tennessee and uh, we, we skied but we went to like Indiana to go skiing, you know, that's a different experience than skiing in the Rocky Mountains. It's the first time in the Rocky Mountains skiing. I'd been skiing all day. Thought, oh, I've got this. And so I'll get to the top of this mountain. I think, all right, I'm ready for Black Diamond. And I don't know if you know anything about snow skiing, but Black Diamonds are pretty intense for beginner skiers like myself. And, um, I started down, and I was shaky, and I was losing control, and uh, I, I wiped out and blew out my knee, and uh, it kind of pretty much ruined the rest of the trip for me on, on that time, and I think to myself, why did I do that? Why did I spend my courage on that? It was so dumb, it was stupid, that was risky, that was crazy, and so those are just some of the stupid things that I've done that in the moment, it took a lot of guts, it took a lot of courage, but as I look back on it, I think... What in the world was I thinking? We've all done that. We've all mustered up courage to do something that really didn't have a great return, right? I mean, maybe I had a great, cool story at the end of the day, but then what? What does it matter? So what, what exactly are we talking about when we're talking about this courage thing? Courage is the mental or moral strength to venture, to persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So just to be clear, it's not like you're not afraid to do something. It's not the absence of fear. A lot of the risky things that I've done, I was afraid. I was afraid that I might get hurt. I was afraid that I was going to get in trouble or busted, you know, whatever. But I pushed through that fear and I went through it and I persevered and I found the courage. But what I find to be sad is that a lot of things that we have courage for in life have no eternal value. Too often we invest our courage into things that have very little return or even a diminishing value. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with like being adventurous and there was nothing like sinful or wrong with me climbing that, that cliff at the lake or going down that black diamond. There was something wrong about throwing walnuts at cars. We'll be clear about that. But oftentimes we muster up strength 
to venture, to persevere, and withstand danger and difficulty for things that aren't even going to matter in five years from now or even five minutes from now. Or we, we gather enough courage to walk head on into situations sometimes that have nothing but the potential to ruin our lives. Maybe it's an affair. Maybe it's, you know, she doing your taxes. I don't know. We can live haphazardly spending our courage on things that don't make a lick of difference in the scheme of eternity. Meanwhile, there's assignments that God has called us to that are big and small, but we pass on these opportunities because we allow fear to grip our hearts so tightly that we never step out in courage and faith to hold, to lay hold of the kingdom of God and bring it to earth. Why do you think we do that? Why do we muster up the courage to do things that don't make a lick of difference for eternity, but we don't dig deep for courage when it comes to the things that really matter? I think there's a couple of different reasons. First of all, maybe we're just not aware of the things that really bring value in life. Maybe our, our value system is jacked up. The culture we live in doesn't value things of eternity. The bulk of politicians and celebrities and athletes and the media place little to no value of having courage for things that truly matter. But just because we live in this culture does not give us as an excuse, right, to follow suit with them, right? Amen? <laughs> I want to look at Romans chapter 12. This is pretty well-known passage, Romans chapter 12, the very beginning here, Paul's letter to the Romans, and this is not the very end of the letter, but it's towards the end of the letter. This is such a rich passage here, and I want to read it in the message today, the message paraphrase, which um, if you're reading a, a paraphrase like the message or, or some other thing, it's good to cross-reference it with an actual translation to make sure that the meanings aren't changed. And, um, and so I think Dr. Peterson did a pretty good job on this one. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1, he says, this is Paul. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Sometimes that takes courage to quickly respond. You know, sometimes we are in a moment and we know we have a feeling what we, we think we know what the Lord might want from us in the moment. But we're not sure. And instead of quickly respond, the moment comes and goes and passes by and we're like, ah, I missed it. And I'm like, well, that's okay. I'm not really sure that that was God anyway. Listen, I would way rather take a step of faith 
and step out and say, I'm not sure if this is the Lord, but I'm gonna respond in faith. I'm gonna quickly respond rather than hold back and let the moment come and go. And it was the Lord. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the cultural around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. He develops a well-formed maturity in you. Like I said, this is, this is so rich. Let's stop trying to be like everyone else, people that we work with, people that maybe you go to school with. Let's stop trying to, to model what we see in the world, in the media messed up lives of, of celebrities and politicians and athletes, and let's stop spending our courage on things that make no difference in this world, but instead, let's do what it says here. Let's fix our attention on God. Let's allow him to change us from the inside out. The other reason that I believe that, that we spend our courage unwisely is because there's an internal struggle of opposing natures. In that passage of scripture that we just read in Romans 12, Paul tells us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Well, if we need to be transformed, then that means it speaks of this inward nature that we're born with and a completely different inward nature that is our inheritance, it's our spiritual inheritance from Jesus, but yet, there's this, we've got to fully give ourselves over to that spiritual inheritance. And we've not completely fully done it yet. The, the process of transformation is called sanctification, meaning to make holy. And it doesn't happen overnight. Understand, I'm not talking about salvation, okay? I'm not talking about, well, you know, you've got, you've got to do these works in order to get saved. I'm talking about being changed from who you are today to being changed into who God has called you to be. And it takes time. In this transformation process, there's an internal wrestling match happening. And when I'm talking about wrestling or struggling, I'm not talking about, you know, you know one of the natures being stronger than the other one. The wrestling doesn't happen between the two natures. It's not a question of, you know, is your sin nature or your righteousness nature, which one is stronger? It's not the forces of good and evil duking it out within you. That's not what it is. It's you and I who, is doing, or who are doing the wrestling and the struggling. Choosing and deciding which nature am I going to submit to? Which nature am I going to, to give myself to? In Hollywood terms, it's, you know, it's the force and the dark side, you know. It's the blue pill or the red pill. It's the fork in the road. Are you going to go left or are you going to go right? We all have a choice. What are we going to give ourselves over to? We have a choice how we're going to spend our courage, where we're going to spend our courage. Earlier in this letter to the Romans, Paul uh, you know, talks about his own struggle about these two opposing forces. And this is what he says in Romans chapter seven, verse 15. He says, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. 
I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I've discovered this principle of life that when I I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Oh, what a miserable person I am. What an encouraging passage of scripture from the apostle Paul. (laughs) Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I'm, I'm the only one that ever deals with this. Man, everybody else has got their act together. I'm the only one that's dealing with this internal struggle, this secret, this wrestling. You're not alone. Something that everybody deals with on some level in some part of our journey, and it looks a little different here, it looks a little different there, and even the Apostle Paul dealt with it. None of us are off the hook. But too many times we make excuses for our choices and our behavior, and we say things like, well, it's not that big of a deal, right? That's how, that's how everybody is. That's how the culture is. But that's not right either. Paul wrote in, in Romans 6, because he said, he says this, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin now that grace abounds? I love the King James Version in this. He says, God forbid. Shall we continue in sin now that grace abounds, right? I mean, because God's grace, isn't it get, doesn't God's grace get so much glory by me just going off and living however it is I want to? And it just goes to show how glorious God's grace is. Paul says, that's not how it works. As a matter of fact, again, I like the language. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We've got no excuse just because others have courage to do dumb things and that we need the courage to advance the kingdom of God. Let's not spend our courage on, on the things that our culture is spending their courage on. Let's spend our courage on advancing the gospel. So what are we to do? If the Apostle Paul struggled, then how in the world are we supposed to overcome? How in the world are we supposed to spend our courage for the things that count for eternity? We'll go back to Romans chapter 7. Paul continues his thoughts and his struggle, right? What does he say? Oh, what a miserable person I am. But then what does he say right after that? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus. I understand that sounds like the typical church answer, right? Like, you know, who frees us from our sin? Jesus. You know, in Sunday school, who died, you know, who died for our sins and rose three days later? Jesus. What's two plus two? Jesus. You know, Jesus is always the church answer, but, but it's Jesus. It's the truth. Where can we find courage to choose the things that make a difference for eternity over the things that don't count for anything? We find it in Jesus. It, it, when Paul was in a Roman prison, he wrote this to the church in Philippi. Famous passage, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was not talking about scoring a touchdown. He was not talking about some other sporting event. I wish Tennessee last night had had the the power through Christ to strengthen them to overcome Ole Miss, but they just barely missed. 
But Paul's not talking about a sporting event. He's saying this, when I look at Jesus, when I gaze on the glory of his majesty, of who he is and what he's accomplished, I draw courage from him to endure whatever the circumstances is that I need to endure. I draw courage from Jesus to go wherever I need to go. I draw courage from Jesus to do whatever it is that God's called me to do. I draw courage for the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of my flesh, not for the sake of some, I've got a cool story to tell now, not for the sake of you know some dumb, stupid, crazy thing. In Deuteronomy, Moses is at the end of his days, and the Lord speaks to him to give a word to Joshua and, and a word to the rest of the Israelites. Joshua is his successor, and this is what it says in Deuteronomy 31.6. This is God's word to Joshua and the Israelites. Be strong. Take courage. Don't be intimidated. Don't give it a second thought because God, your God, is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. That is a word that we can draw courage from. Right after Moses passes away, the Lord comes to Joshua and he speaks to Joshua and he says this. He kind of repeats the same message. Joshua chapter one, verse five. He says, I'll be with you. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. Strength, courage, give it everything you have, heart and soul. Don't get off track, either to the left or to the right, so as to make sure that you get to where you're going. Strength, courage, don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God, your God is with you every step you take. And if God has courage for Joshua and the Israelites, he has courage for you. And if Paul was able to draw on the strength and the courage of Jesus, so can you. Not just so that we can ski down a black diamond or just dominate in our uh, arena of business or whatever it is, but so that we can keep ourselves in the love of God and make a difference for eternity that actually counts. We can look at Jesus and then we can look in the face of darkness and not cower and not back down, but stand strong against the spirit of this age and the counterfeit gospel. And instead, we can advance the gospel and do the works of Christ and make disciples. We don't have to just settle for the culture being flushed down the toilet right now. We are here as God's ambassadors. So take courage. You have a job to do as, as, as a member of the kingdom of God to establish the culture of the kingdom. What would, what would a, a nation do if it were on conquest and they were going out and, and conquering territory? They would go out and then they would build, they would build fortresses. They would build, build castles. And that fortress and that castle and that region, their job was to represent home base, the headquarters. And they were to establish the culture of that kingdom in the new region, in the new area. That's what Siege Church is. We are an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. That means all of us that are in this church, we're called to establish the culture of the kingdom wherever we step foot. It starts in our homes. 
certainly here in this, in this gathering, in this church, in the life that we, that we have here together. It's in our schools. It's in our workplaces. It's in the marketplace. Wherever we go, we're, we're ambassadors. We're culture bringers, culture establishers. We can have courage to do this. Why? Because he's already gone ahead of us. Right? Isn't that what he said? Isn't that what he said to Joshua? He goes in front of us. If you've not already, if you've not already done what we were talking about, committed yourself to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, make the decision to surrender your will, surrender your plans, surrender your so-called successes, repent of your sin, and he will transform your life and he will show you the value of the things in life that really count and really matter. He'll give you the ability to choose courage for the things that make a difference for eternity. And maybe you've made that decision before, but for some reason or another, you've been waning in your courage. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants to breathe courage on you this morning. But you have a choice to come into agreement with it. It's your choice. You can either sit there and let the breath of God pass you by, or you can sit there and go, God, blow on me again. Breathe on me again. I need your help. I need your courage. I want everybody to stand with me right now. We're gonna pray together, and I've got two prayers for us to pray today. Um, and the first one is a prayer to declare Jesus as the Lord of your life. Because if you want courage to make a real difference in this life, then you first got to surrender your life to the one who can give you the courage. And if you've if you already are a Christ follower, we're gonna pray this together out loud today as even just an affirmation that we are continually surrendering ourselves and following Jesus, amen? So why don't you just repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I believe that you are the son of God. I choose you to be in charge of my life. I turn away from sin and I turn to you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me freedom and making my life clean. I want my life to bring you honor and make a difference for your kingdom. Amen. Hey, congratulations. To any of you that prayed that prayer for the first time or you prayed it as a rededication or all of us who are maybe, who are still following Jesus and we just are praying that as an affirmation of what we hold true. Awesome. Awesome. Because the same gospel that saved me is the same gospel that sustains me. It's like, I, okay, well, I made the decision to follow Christ. Thanks, God. I got it from here. No. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he saved me then, he's saving me again today. Amen. So, you know, it's the best decision we can make. 
And it's the best affirmation that we can make is to continue to call out on the name of Jesus. If today you're here and you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you prayed that prayer as a rededication, I want to encourage you at the end of the service, our prayer team is going to come down front up here in the, in the very front. And I want you to come visit with one of them because they want to pray with you today. They want to get to know your name. And also we have a gift that we want to put into your hand. It's a book called What's Next. And so, and we want to walk with you. We want to be in relationship with you because again, we don't just, you come in here, pray a prayer and send you out the door and go, all right, good luck. No, we're, you're now part of the family. This is the best family you could be part of. Now let's pray another prayer today. And uh, we're asking God to give us courage to keep ourselves in the love of God. Would you close your eyes and just again, we're gonna repeat this together. God, give me courage. I need courage before men against the peer pressure of this world and against ungodly enticements. I need courage to endure unkindness, mockery and contradiction. I need courage to fight against Satan, against terrors and troubles, against temptations and distractions, against tears and depression, and above fear. I need your help, God. I declare those things have no power over me because I belong to you. Strengthen me with your love and your grace. Relieve me with your presence and grant me the courage to persevere. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God, we just thank you. I just bless your people right now. I thank you that you go before us. And Lord, I just think of the prayer of St. Patrick, that you are in front of us, you are behind us, you're above us, beneath us, you're all around us. And we thank you that you have courage available to us. We set our gaze and our attention and our focus on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And that Jesus, we draw courage from your example. We can do all things through you, Jesus, who gives us strength. We can overcome anything. We can find the courage to advance the kingdom of God in the face of a dark culture, in the face of a counterfeit spirit, in the face of a counterfeit gospel, because we have the Holy Spirit on the, living on the inside of us. We gaze on you, Jesus. We see who you are and what you've accomplished. And we will advance. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. God, that's us. We are your lights. I pray blessing on your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what he called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.